you know that's what worship is for. Worship is, uh, worship gives you an opportunity to reflect. Gives you a chance to think back. Think about where he's brought you from. What he's done in your life. How he's kept you. How he's keeping you. How he's watching over you. When I think about the goodness of Jesus. All right, all right. Take your Bible in your hand. Take your Bible in your hand. Genesis 35. Genesis 35. Sometimes all you need is a good shout. Good shout make you feel better sometimes. Genesis 35, verses 1 and 2, if you have that, say amen. amen. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Amen. You may be seated. So, so we've been in this series uh, over the last uh, few weeks, and uh, it's called Getting Back on Track. Uh, getting Back on Track. So this is, this is part three of the series, Getting Back on Track. So... The truth be told, everybody in the building, everybody in the building, every single one of us, nobody is exempt. No matter what you're wearing, white, purple, or anything else, every single one of us regardless of where you're sitting, whether you're sitting up high on platforms or sitting in pews, every single one of us veers off the path sometimes. See, because church folk will like you to believe that we always walk the straight and narrow. 
the truth of the matter is that life happens to us. And sometimes life has a way of causing us to veer off the path that we really do want everybody to think that we're on. You, you really can uh, know a whole lot of Bible and still veer off the path. You can lead some ministries and still veer off the path. You can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and still veer off path. And, and, and I think we're all clear about it. Um, we're all clear about the fact that the wrong road, you know, once you veer off the right road, the only other place you can land is on the wrong road. And once you land on the wrong road, then you are obviously now heading in the wrong direction. And, and the wrong direction will always, without exception, lead you to the wrong place. So that you can end up in places where God never intended for you to be. And then you're there trying to figure out why things aren't working out for you the way they're supposed to work out. It's because you veered off course. You refused to get back on the right course. You took the wrong road. The wrong road led to the wrong place. And that's where you are. So, so the point of the whole series is that God knows exactly, A, where you are. And he knows exactly where he wants you to be. And where he wants you to be, where he wants me to be, is often diametrically opposite to where I may want to be. So our problem is often that we somehow and sometimes, and sometimes it's inadvertent. Uh, we, we didn't intend to, but somehow we veered off the right road and got on the wrong road. Or sometimes we intentionally chose what we believe to have been a better route. And we find ourselves, yet again, in the wrong place. The good thing, though, is that God is so gracious and so kind, and for some of us, so long-suffering, that, that even when we are not where we are supposed to be when we are not even where he wants us to be. He still loves us enough to reach out to us to get us back on track. The illustration I've been using throughout this series is this. It's, it's, it's as though he tracks us down from heaven and like, and like the GPS systems in our cars, he continues to tell us Make a legal U-turn. Make a legal U-turn. You can keep on driving if you want, but they're trying to tell you that you're going in the wrong direction and it's not going to get you to the destination that has been pre-programmed in you. From the moment you got saved, God programmed you for what he wanted out of your life and set you on a particular path, but some of us ignore the GPS because we think we know a better way. And you will never end up where you're supposed to be when you do your own thing. And, and, and by the way, that's the whole gospel narrative. 
That's the entire gospel narrative. It's the whole Garden of Eden scene that set it all off. That's really what the whole Bible is really all about. Man takes a wrong turn through disobedience. He alienates and separates himself from God. His sin is too costly for him to pay. So God reaches out and sends to solve the situation his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is executed on an old rugged cross. His blood is shed as payment for the debt that you and I could not repay. He dies, he is buried, he rises the third day just to get me and you back on track. Because in so doing, we make a legal U-turn off the road leading to hell, and we are redirected or recalibrated towards our Father's house, which is exactly why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the destination or comes to the Father except you come through me. That's the entire Bible. And as we've been seeing over the past few weeks, that's what God does with Jacob. Jacob has been on the wrong road, and God wants him back on the right road. And so God tells Jacob, chapter 35, verse 1, Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of your brother Esau. Y'all ought to remember that, right? And so over the past few weeks, we've dealt with the arise and the go up to Bethel. And we've dealt with the making an altar to God. We revisited why Jacob was running from his brother Esau. And of course, it was because Jacob had robbed him of his birthright. But now Jacob has come to a place where he is listening to the GPS. He is listening now to God. And God is telling him, in essence, make the legal U-turn and head back into my presence. Head back to that place where we had an unforgettable encounter because in going back, you can recalibrate and get yourself back on the right road. And that's the message that I deeply and desperately want somebody in here to get today. Even if it's one person and it was all worth it. If, if it's just one person, it's, it's worth it. If one person is hearing and listening and turns around and gets back on the right track, even if we never know who you are, even if you don't walk the aisle, if one, if just one person, because heaven rejoices when just one person turns around and comes back. God is calling for you to go back. You've been on the wrong road too long. You've wasted too much time with that fool that you met on the wrong road. The wrong road is full of fools and idiots, people that God didn't want you to interact with, which is why he had you on a different road. These people will take you further than you wanted to go. They'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and they will cost you more than you wanted to pay. You've missed too many opportunities because you veered off and you've gotten on the wrong road. You got in too many of the wrong things because there's a whole lot of wrong stuff to get involved in on the wrong road. It's time to head back to Bethel, back to the house of God, which really means back to his presence. Jacob realizes that he needs to go back, and he's not going back by himself. And that's because his family and some other people are with him. So he takes them too. See, because when you get changed, you are then positioned to help other people change. Sometimes the change that you would like to see in other people 
happens when they see the change in you. Amen, somebody. But before they leave, he gives them some instructions so that when they go back, they go back the right way. Now, I don't know if you have old school parents. You know, when you get to the age when it's time for you to leave the house. Huh? Old school parents, they, they, they get a little conflicted around that time. Because uh, they, they, they don't want to see you leave. But then on the other hand, they got some plans for that room you've been, uh, you've been occupying. Uh, morning of my wedding, I woke up to this. I didn't know what it was. The morning of my wedding, I woke up. And I look, and my mother is literally spraying fantastic in my drawers, cleaning it out. I said, Mom, what are you doing? She said, it don't mean I want you to leave. Come back from the honeymoon and stop by. I don't even recognize the room anymore. So she, she had some plans for that room, then it had nothing to do with me being there. So, so you want to go back because old school parents will say, I know you got to go, but as long as you leave right, you can come back. So that's one side of it. But then the other thing is when you get out there, you then have to know how to come back right. Uh, that, that's, that's what God is telling Jacob, and Jacob is telling his family, look, we got an invitation to come back, but we got to go back. So we got to go back right. So, so you, you can't, and that's why he tells him in verse 2, you, you can't go back into his presence with all these little strange foreign gods. Some stuff you picked up when we were doing what we weren't supposed to be doing. You got to put that stuff aside. You got to put it down so that we can go back the right way, worshiping the right God. Put away that stuff, even if the little God is you. Some of us are our little gods. Some of us refuse to change. Some of us are just so headstrong that we just, it's just about us and how we feel and how we think and what we want to do. We can't submit to nobody. We can't do any of that because it's just about us. Put it away if you intend to go back into the presence of God. And so we learn that God is God and he is to be worshiped and served like the God that he is. Exodus 20, he says, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Luke 4, 8 says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then Jacob tells his people, and this is where we land today, he tells his people, but you also need to not only put away the strange gods, but you're going to have to purify yourself. You're going to have to take a bath. With soap. <laughs> I have a story about that, but I'm not going to tell it. You got to purify yourself. And purify really just means to cleanse. In other words, it's not a, just a jump in the shower, jump out real quick kind of thing. It, you got to stand there a while and you got to do some scrubbing. 
is it's deliberate. It takes some time. You, you got to work at it. You got to check and make sure that you got everything. I wish I had some witnesses. Purify yourself. It means it means to cleanse. But you know the Bible has a way of using physical illustrations to represent spiritual things. And 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 it really wasn't a physical cleansing as much as it was about moral purity. Amen, somebody. Jacob and his people had been living in dirt. They had been living in disobedience, and they needed to get cleaned up before they could enter into the presence of a holy and sanctified God. And you know, that's what often happens when we travel on the wrong road. We inevitably run into some stuff, and we pick up some stuff, and it gets us dirty. We pick up some parasites. We pick up some diseases. We pick up some things that just are not what was supposed to have happened to us had we stayed on the right road. And that's because on the wrong road of life, we end up meeting and interacting with the wrong people, thinking the wrong thoughts, going to the wrong places, and getting involved in the wrong things. Remember, Jacob had just told them to get rid of the strange and foreign idols which were among them because worshiping the wrong God on the wrong road is going to get you dirty every single time. Jacob says we got to clean up before we enter into the presence of God. Now, throughout the Old Testament, to purify oneself was actually a ritual. I mean, this is something that they took very seriously. It was not something to be played with. It was so common, it was so expected, if you intended to enter God's presence. The purpose of the ritual of purity was to teach the holiness of God and the need for the morally upright to understand that you can't enter his presence any old kind of way. So there was this act of physical cleansing, but as I said, the physical always points or corresponds or is a parallel to the spiritual. So you'll see the physical, but behind it is a spiritual meaning. Are y'all with me? So, so, so that it really wasn't about the actual ritual. It, it, it wasn't about actually stepping into the shower and showering with soap. That was an illustration of what was supposed to be happening internally. Uh, it, it, it's not the symbol, it's the significance of the symbol. It, it's, it's, what the, it's what the symbol represents. That's what this Kaepernick stuff is really all about. P people are focusing on the symbol and they're focusing on the act, the Pledge of Allegiance, a song, a flag. Those are physical, but he's saying, I'm not really talking about that stuff because that stuff represents something deeper. I wish I had people that watch the news. I'm it's not the symbol that's significant, it's, it's what the symbol represents. The idea is that the physical external washing really only represents the internal greater purity of heart. So the idea is that God doesn't need your clean body if your heart is still dirty. Now, this is not about the symbols, but about what the symbols represent. Today, we will break bread. Today, we will serve the wine as a part of the Holy Communion service. But the bread and the wine are just 
physical representations of a deeper, more significant issue, which is the beaten, battered body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood as he gave his life to secure our salvation. Today, in the 11 o'clock service, we will physically immerse individuals in a pool of water so that it's really not about the physical H2O that is up there in that pool right now, and it's not about that because the water has no ability to save anybody. It has no ability to change anybody's life. But the water baptism symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you and I partake in it, we are saying that God has changed us from the inside, and while we used to be dead, now we are alive in him forevermore. And Jacob is telling his family to purify, to clean themselves ceremonially or as a sign or as a symbol. God, that the outer cleansing really represents the inward purity. Jacob, Jacob making that legal U-turn is suggestive of the fact that he wants to rededicate himself back to the God with whom he had an amazing encounter. And every now and then, every now and then, every now and then, all of us dressed up church-going people I said every now and then, all of us church-going people need to rededicate ourselves. Doesn't matter how long your name has been on the roll, because at the end of the day, nobody from heaven is going to call the church and ask how long you've been a part of the Bible Way Church. What they're looking for is whether or not your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that requires a heart change. Every now and then, all of us need to be rededicated. It doesn't have to be public. Nobody else has to know. But every now and then, when you finally wake up and realize that you've been on the wrong road and traveling in the wrong direction, going the wrong way, and getting dirtier by the moment, you got to recalibrate and rededicate yourself back to him. It's not all about what you do before you enter a particular building or what you do on a particular day. It's not about Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Saturday. It's not about what you do on your way into the physical sanctuary, but it is all about the condition of your heart when you enter into the Lord's presence. Now, let me just throw this out there, too. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to be clean. Hello? It don't have to be perfect. It don't have to be perfect. And don't let self-righteous church folk tell you you have to be perfect. But you do need to be clean. That's another old school principle, ain't it? I wish I had some people that would admit they was raised by some old school people. See, you didn't have to have the best of everything. You didn't have to have the best clothes. 
They didn't have to be the most recent. They didn't have to be clothes with names on them. But if you had old school parents, their concern was not that it had somebody's name on it, but that it was clean when you put it on. They were in the clean. That's why you don't play in your church clothes. That's back when we had church clothes. Back when we could tell the difference. <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm saying. Yeah. You probably got to be over like about 40, 35, maybe 50 to, to really get that. So you don't have to be perfect. God is not looking for perfect. He know more about your imperfections than you do. But what he's looking for is clean. And so, and so here's what, what, what Jacob was after. We're on our way back to Bethel. Bethel is the, means house of God. And we know that God's house cannot be limited to a particular building. His house is is just everywhere because everywhere is in his presence. Hello? So I don't care where you go, read Psalm 139. You're in his presence. You can sneak off to wherever you want to go, but you're still in God's presence. You can shut the door, lock them, turn off all the lights, and you're still in God's presence. You can dig a hole and go down 400 feet. You're still in his presence. Go jump out in the deepest ocean you can find and you're still in God's presence because everywhere is in his presence. So, so, so when we go back, we cannot go back any old kind of way. Our God is a holy God. He is to be revered, respected, honored, exalted because he is just worthy to be praised. And the point that Jacob makes is that we cannot come before him without respecting him enough to clean ourselves up before we enter his presence. And cleaning ourselves simply means we got to rid ourselves of the dirt and mire of the world. We got to get rid of the stains and the stench of sin. We got to get rid of that dirt of disobedience. We, we got to get rid of the rottenness of our rebellious spirit. We, we have to clean ourselves up from the residue of doing whatever we want to do, from acting in ways that do not please him, from saying things that do not honor him, from living in ways that are contrary to his will, from thinking in ways that actually reveal our distance from him, from letting people come between us and him from not serving him and not worshiping him and not supporting the ministry of his church from not forgiving one another. We have to clean ourselves up so that we can enter into his presence in an appropriate and in an acceptable fashion. So let me try to close it. Look, David says it this way, Psalm 24. He says, Lord, I'm a little confused. About, about who has access to your holy hill. I, I don't get it. I'm not sure. I keep hearing too many different things. I need to know. I need to know right here, right now, what does it take for me or for anybody else to approach you? Jacob is on his way to approach the Lord. David says, Lord, what does it take? Psalm 24, who may ascend? into your holy hill? Who, 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 is, who is qualified to stand in your presence? Is it people? 
Is it people who have been in church for a long time? No, no. Is it people who do a lot of stuff at church they hear every time the door opens? No, no. Is it people who know a lot of Bible? Every time they open their mouths, they say something biblical. No, that's not, not them either. Is it people who have connections with other people? No, it's not people that know a lot of important people. Is it the leaders of the church? Is it the people with keys to the building and special seats and are dressed in uniform? No, it's not them either. Is it the people who are ordained to the ministry? No, it's not the people who are ordained. Is it the people who have a license to preach the gospel? No, it's not the people who are licensed to preach the gospel. Is, is it the people with, with titles? No, it doesn't require any kind of titles. Is it the pew people? They just show up, but they really don't do anything. No, it's not them either. Is it, is it the musically inclined people? No, it's not the musical people. Is it the administrative and the proficient people? No, it's not them. Is it the men? No, is it the women? No. Is it the youth? No. Well, then who is it? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's all it requires. All this other stuff is just extra. All you need is clean hands and a pure heart. Who's allowed to come into your presence? He who has clean hands Pure heart. That's major. Because in one verse, God says what I've been trying to tell you through this whole message so far. That on the one hand, there's the physical. Clean hands, what you can see. Hands are designed for us to do things. But there's also the part that you don't see. Wish I had a witness. Is the part that some would argue is the most critical. Because if something goes wrong with it, they put you in a critical care. Y'all ain't helping me at all in here today. It's the most important part. It's the seat of everything. It's the seat of who you are. And, and, and the Lord kind of controls it. He keeps it going from the earliest time of your existence from the moment from the moment you are conceived god keeps it going and you don't have a whole lot to do with it really only thing you're responsible to do is do the right thing with your body so that it continues to do what it's supposed to do but then there's an appointed time because Psalm 139 says, wait a minute, every single day of your life is already written out in my book. So for every one of us, there is an appointed day. There is an appointed time. There is an exact moment where God will stop the beat. And at that moment, you die. Now, some people have argued, no, the brain is the most important. No, the brain is not the most important, which is why medical people say you can be brain dead but still alive. Because it's not until the heart stops beating that you are actually dead done. So clean hands can really only be clean. I don't care how many times you wash them. I don't care how much hand sanitizer you use. But clean hands ceremonially and biblically and morally can only be clean if your heart is clean. Because the condition of your heart drives the condition of your hands. 
What's in my heart drives what I do. What's in my heart controls what I say. What's in my heart controls who I am. That's why you can't let just anybody get to your heart because whoever controls your heart controls you. Told you before, any prison, any jail has what they call center control. That's the control. That's the, and, they, and, and you talk to anybody who works in the jail, they call it the heartbeat of the prison. Why? Because it's the heart. It's the center. It's where all of the controls are. It's where you can see everything going on around in the jail. And guess what? Certain people can't have access to it because if certain people get in, they get to control everything that happens in the jail. Same thing with us. God has given us a heart, and he is the only person who should have the key to center control. Even you and I are not supposed to have a key because sometimes we wake up stupid. I wish I had a witness. Sometimes we wake up as an idiot, and if you wake up a stupid, idiotic person on the throne with the key and access to your center control, you're going to start doing stupid and idiotic things. Whoever controls your heart controls you. That's why some people, the minute they start dating, they act different. People that was cool before, then they start dating and they strange now. Come on, y'all, don't look at me funny. Y'all, you, everybody know people like that. You, you get a new friend and all of a sudden, because <laughs> somebody got access to your center control. I'll probably get some emails on that one. <laughs> David would pray in another connection when he knew he had messed up. In Psalm 51, he says, Lord, I, I know I messed up big time. I know I'm a mess. And every now and then, everybody in here ought to just be able to say, I know I'm a mess. I, I know you got all washed up and sprayed perfume and all this, and you know you you did what you're supposed to do this morning. But uh, every now and then, you got to recognize when you look in the mirror that you're looking at an absolute mess. All of us end up in some mess sometimes. Some of us got some more caked on, grimy, crusty mess on us than others. But you know what? We all are messy people, which requires us to be cleansed when we come into His presence. David, in essence, is saying, Lord, I messed up. I got some crusty, dirty, grease, grime on me, and I need to get it off. Lord, I know that I can't do it by myself. So I know, you know what I need you to do? Create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. And that's the good news, is that no matter how dirty you may be today sitting here, God has the ability to renew within you a right spirit and cause you to turn around and go back. David's saying, Lord, I'm ready to make a legal U-turn, and it starts in my own heart. And so as I close, I'm just trying to reach out to somebody and tell you, that you've gone too far in the wrong direction. You probably can concur when David says, I know that this is not what God had for me. I, I, I've been out here just a little bit too long. I, I'm not acting the way I should be acting. I'm not thinking the way I used to think. I'm, I don't feel like the same person that I used to be. I'm not, I'm not growing like I used to grow. I, 
I feel like I'm perpetually on the wrong road. I, I've done some things that I'm not very proud of. I've, I've done some things that I don't even want to talk about. I said some things that I wish I could take back. I've posted some things that I wish I could delete. I've been some places that I should not have gone. And I've turned my back on some people that loved me. And I embraced some people that meant me no good. I'm trying to tell you that today is your day. I said, today is your day. If you really want your life back on track, you got to turn around. I said, you got to turn around. You got to turn around and you got to come on back. Do I have a witness? You got to turn around and you got to come on back. You got to listen to God when he's telling you to make a legal U-turn. You got to recognize that God is real, and beside him, there is no other. You got to realize that you've been traveling on the wrong road and heading in the wrong direction. You have to remember that if God was there, if he was there for you on yesterday, then there's no reason for him not to be there on today. And it makes no sense that he would not be there tomorrow. You got to recalibrate. You got to make a legal U-turn and head on back into the loving embrace of the Lord our God. And I promise you, I promise you, I said, I promise you, just as sure as I'm standing here, that the Lord is waiting for you. The Lord is standing there with his arms outstretched. The Lord is waiting for you. The Lord, he will forgive you. The Lord, he'll speak peace into you. The Lord will give you hope. Get back on the right road while you still have time because time is winding up. I said time is winding up. Getting late in the evening and the sun is going down and time and time is running out and things are getting worse day by day. I wish I had a witness. All I'm saying is that it's time to come on home. Do I have a witness? Do I have a witness? Do I have a witness? Your father is standing there waiting Come on home, come home. I said, come home. You got to turn around and come on home. Your father loves you. Your father cares for you. You got to come on home. He's calling, he's calling your name. Come on home, come on home. I know you hear me and I know you're listening. You done turned your head 
you're trying not to hear me, but you hear the Lord saying, come on home. Is there somebody here that needs to come home? Come home. Come on home. Because he's waiting for you. I said he's waiting and he's watching like the prodigal son, like his father. His son had taken the wrong road. I said his son had taken the wrong road. He went out there, got real dirty. But one day, I said one day, he woke up and said, I got to go back. I said he woke up and he got to go back. He turned around and headed back and off in the distance his daddy could see that his son his son was coming back yes yes his son was coming back looks a little dirty looks a little skinny looks a little tired looks a little bedraggled but that's still my baby that's still my son. Come on home. Come on home. Come on home. Come home. 